0: welcome back to ghostly talk this is scott l
1: this is amber who fun show fun show fun show yes mark on spa was back third yes. time
0: third time in like a year with well, less than a year
1: original stories to share there's well there, there yeah we love
0: yeah there's there's people we we meet on the show and we historically we've done this there's some people we've met through this show that we just fall in love with yeah mark's one of those guys and he's a riot to talk to uh I'm very one of the most interesting people I've talked to in a well, long time on this show. And we and we
1: told him you're like the resident bard or writer of Ghostly Talk, well, now, yeah. like the official the official he, author at Ghostly Talk.
0: So, yeah, tonight we talk, we talked a few months ago about having, you know, having Mark come back on the show again, which he was happy to do. And yeah. you know, he's got a lot of different dimensions. This guy he yeah. he's, he writes a lot of stuff and one of the things we wanted to get into today was sci-fi. Talk, yeah. I mean, talk about sci-fi itself, which I mean, is is a genre, as an idea, as a means to well, project things, or, or was it uh, prophesize well, things? That's the word. Yeah. Ask what if. What if you know that was one of what the big if? things
1: that we, we p- Mark talked about in our discussion with him is that sci-fi asks what if. What if? And I like that because I I'm not a big reader of sci-fi. It's not that I don't like it. It's just I. I haven't read a lot of it I should read more of it I should go back and read like classics I should be reading like some Bradbury and Arthur C. Clarke and um, Heinlein and stuff like I was just I I was just okay today I'm listening to Iron Maiden stranger in a strange land yeah okay that's Robert Heinlein yeah it's a story so it's like I'm like Iron Maiden Iron
0: Maiden historically has written a lot of a lot of songs about books or movies right they like doing that and
1: I'm just like and I sat there thinking today I'm like I should read that book I love this song yeah I should read the book. Yeah. And anyway, but uh, yeah. So Mark just makes you kind of. think. That's on somewhere in time it, too, isn't it? Yeah.
0: Yeah, which is a sci-fi themed. Sci- record. Yeah, you're right. Very sci-fi yeah, sci-fi themed record. Yeah. yeah,
1: like Eddie is on the cover, and it's all like yeah. Blade Runner ish in the background. Yeah. And, yeah just
0: Google it. You'll
1: know, Iron uh, Maiden, somewhere in
0: time. You can look at the cover. He's it's got beautiful. like
1: headgear and a gun. To
0: be one of the my, my, my all-time <laughs> favorite <laughs> album covers because because it of, it, of its sci-fi nature and all you the know that, you know that you know that album
1: cover actually scared me when I was a little kid.
0: I've I've always just been in love with that. I think that was.
1: The first time I had seen Eddie when I was a little kid for some reason. And I remember staring at the cassette and it bothered me because he looked like muscle.
0: Well, he is all... I know. Yeah, but it was skin. just... It
1: creeped me out as a kid. Yeah. And we're talking like little kid, like six, seven. And I was like, Eddie's scary. But this... this
0: That's my favorite album cover. This, this tape, cover, tape like, rocks. Yeah.
1: <laughs> That's me at eight. Uh,
0: yeah, that that covers the best. Favorite.
1: So, well, yeah. And I sci-fi obviously infiltrates a lot of music out there. Heavy, I'm sure that, that Iron Maiden's not the only... Oh, God. There's Band that's been inspired by science
0: fiction. Yeah, tons of tons of bands I know of that have. We're going down a rabbit hole we, here. We will. We can't go there. Let's keep it focused. We can't, I know, yeah, focus. We'll, it's been so, an hour of talking about metal bands.
1: One thing that I found interesting that I forgot to bring up earlier to Mark yeah. is how strange you can come full circle in your life with, with stuff. So yeah. in 1992, there was an animated series for X-Men. Okay. I think it ran for like five seasons or something. I would religiously watch that show after school all the time. And even if it was a rerun, didn't care. The anybody that watched that show, like the theme song was stuck in my head. Like just in your head. Yeah. So I would be sitting there watching my reruns, watching my new shows, eating my pizza rolls or my Gino's Pizza. Like, seriously, it was my after-school junk food gross. obsession. That's not gross. It's delicious. It
0: is delicious. Nah, yeah, exactly. It's gross, though. It's
1: not good for you, but it's delicious. It's delicious. So, anyway, here's the weird thing. I, From being on Mark's website earlier, I learned that he actually wrote one of the episodes of the animated series called Secrets Not Long Buried, and it was episode number 25, and it was the final episode of the third season. So I thought about- What show was this again? the animated X-Men series. Okay. So I thought about I thought about this. My little 13, 12 to 14-year-old self at some point was sitting there after school eating pizza rolls, pizza rolls or chips or snacks or something, unwinding after school watching an episode that a man named Mark Onspaw wrote that 26 to 27 years later I would be chatting with
0: yeah it is it is cool isn't that the thing no it's it's a cool thing because you know and that's where you get into the whole synchronicities of life right. and how you know where you're put in in that place and what you believe but something led you two people in a direction and eventually in 2019 or late 2019 you guys finally crossed paths and now you're you know we're friends yeah we got to consider Mark grand a friend he's a brilliant guy and uh, honored to have him here really if we ever honored. get to
1: california we'll have to be like hey we'll have to go hey. like towards where he lives
0: hey, hey. <laughs> so we'll say hi to him so tell us more about mark here before we get into the oh my god get into this thing because mark
1: we, mark i have to read mark's professional bio because even though he's we, been on the show before because he's done so many cool things yeah we want people
0: to know about this he's
1: a native californian who grew up on a steady diet of horror science fiction and dc comics He's a proud member of the Horror Writers Association and the International Thriller Writers Association, too. In addition to the produced film Kill Katie Malone, he has several other screenplays in various stages of development and was also one of the writers of the cult favorite Flight of the Living Dead.
0: Fantastic.
1: While Onspaw is definitely a fan of the horror genre, he also writes science fiction. And comedy. He polished his comedy writing and improv skills at the Groundlings Theater in L.A., where he studied under names you'll recognize. Lisa Kudrow from Friends, Michael McDonald from Mad TV, and Heather Morgan from The Dana Carvey Show. Earlier in his career, Anspas studied special effects makeup in college and continued to pursue his passion under the tutelage of premier makeup artist Thomas R. Berman, that's Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Cat yeah, People, Scrooge. Yeah, Love right. Scrooge. Yes. With additional lectures and such notas- notables among others as Oscar-winning makeup artist Rick Baker, American Werewolf in London, one, Men of, the, Black, one of the greatest, Planet of the Apes, and and his list yeah. continues to go on. So go visit Mark at his website, markonspa.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, the links will be on our website. You can head over and check out all of his books. They're all available on Amazon. We highly recommend grabbing his uh short uh fiction books, uh and his he's got his novels, he's got everything. So And you get to
0: hear stuff here tonight yeah. on the show.
1: Yeah. Exclusive it, stuff. Exclusive
0: stuff. Yeah. Let, exclusive. Okay, we'll just put the cat out of the bag right now. He wrote two stories for us. Yeah. For the show here. Yes. Which is just kind of I'm still kind of numb at yeah. the feet here knowing it's just this awesome. now. So you get to hear that. Um so just enjoy our conversation and the wonderfulness that is Mark onspa
1: Ball back with us is this the third time third time third time it is
0: Yay! yes
1: and we are thrilled to have mark back because it's like he's it's the, ball. In, he's it's like the in-house ghostly talk official amazing writer well yeah like <laughs> oh, spoken storyteller
0: spoken word artist
1: spoken word artist yes. Okay. okay
0: <laughs> yeah, i mean no and I,
2: i'll take that
0: well i mean there's something to be said about that um and that's I, it's a compliment actually for me because i mean that's a lot of stuff i like to listen to i mean i remember like uh, back when I was in high school and stuff like that, the first time I ever fo- heard something like Spoken Word was like by like Henry Rollins, who was on this show one time back, at, back in the old days, right? And he, you know, uh-huh. he, he's a punk rock singer and stuff like that, but he, he also did these things called Spoken, spoken Word, they called it. Um, and I guess the, because it was really funny what he would, what he would do, and I'm like, well, why isn't this just comedy? And they're like, well, this is all coming off the top of his head right um oh, so but i've always tough. but there's always been like really interesting things with spoken word and i i mean that's a lot of stuff that i listen to in the evening just to kind of relax to or when i'm working on stuff so i love the idea of spoken word like that and the stuff we've oh, done before with you it's cool i like
1: listening it. to stories being told yeah well
0: i love books on tape and, and things calming like that. Yeah.
1: down and slowing down and listening because the world is in chaos right now
0: yeah i love books on tape it especially oh, books on gosh. tape are huge
1: uh, mark how is everything in california right now oh, yeah. i know california has been back in the news for this horrible covid disaster um are you in a safe spot have you been okay where you're at
2: we're in a pretty small town and we never go out without a mask okay. you know um not in our car but when we go to a store or something and uh our town is kind of a tourist town <clears throat> excuse me so We get a lot of tourists and a lot of them are not wearing masks, so that's uh, daunting, but we just stay away from those spots.
0: I think, you know, I'm seeing it. I went out a couple days ago and I was surprised here uh, because I hear people that I talk to and complain about this. They're like, I just went to this place and there was no one wearing masks and stuff like that. And I really don't pay much attention. I put my mask on, go about my shopping, whatever it is. And I did, uh, we went, I went grocery shopping a couple nights ago, and I did notice that, yeah, a lot of people, and these aren't tourists. These are people that live where we live, right? And they're not wearing masks. And I'm wondering, well, I, I, got, I got an idea of what it is. I mean, I know there's this whole side of this equation that says, well, you're taking away our rights and stuff like that. And I don't really quite understand that. I mean, I think this is a very, we've said this before here on the show. I think this is a very real thing i don't think this is yep. a conspiracy science i think this is a very Wait, real thing science? Huh? Yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> it's much
2: too big to be a conspiracy it's if it was just happening in the united states you might say oh well maybe but it's all over the world yeah the whole and uh you know um i read a statement by a doctor today he said if you have trouble breathing with a mask uh, try getting the virus yeah, see how your breathing is. It, I mean,
0: it's uncomfortable. I wear my mask and I go into places, and I w- I went to the post office yesterday, and we were standing. Of course, there's a line a mile long, <laughs> and I'm right. standing there going, "I'm not comfortable. This sucks." But it's like, well, suck it up, buddy. It's better than yeah, better than getting sick. So you can
1: also wear visors.
0: A visor. Yeah. Oh yeah, the visors. I've seen those.
1: If you're if you're concerned about your COVID fashion look, I mean, the visor has a slightly more dorkier look. <laughs> So I don't know. Maybe that's why you don't see people with those as much. You feel like maybe you're like that's your helmet, yeah, going into war. But I've it's seen an seen, option, and I've it's not tight against your face. It's
0: basically a spit shield. Yeah,
1: it's like you have a buffet yeah. I think shield the problem with the visor
2: is that the uh, droplets can still get out if right. you sneeze or cough. Yeah, you know, whereas a mask it kind of keeps it contained. Yeah, and the, the percentages of contagion if two people are wearing a mask and one of them is sick. It significantly reduces the uh, chances for illness on the other part of the on the part of the other person,
0: and that's what the idea is.
1: I'm hoping I don't not get a cold this year. Like that would be one positive thing about COVID and like COVID in me. (laughs) It's no cold this year. Because everyone's just being okay. conscientious of
0: well, yeah, no one's doing germs. anything. I mean, so I, I mean, the likelihood of maybe just getting the common cold, maybe I, yeah, slashed it. I had one this
1: now. winter, like right when COVID broke out. So of course,
0: I'm like, oh my god, what are the symptoms? What's happening? Do I have a fever? Well, that's what happened to me in uh-huh. May. I got, I got, a, I got a little under the weather. My throat got a little dry. My nose dried out, yeah. and. I know I should know better by now. Every year it happens to me. As soon as we turn allergy. the central air on and the, and the allergy stuff, as soon as the central air gets turned on, I start getting a little gunky for the first week, and then I feel fine. But, of course, I'm like ultra paranoid now, and I'm having COVID tests and stuff done. So right. it's, well, one. Yeah. I, yeah, I had one done, yeah. we
2: we I generally get sick every November to December, somewhere in there. Yeah. And we okay. actually talked to our doctor and asked her if we'd both had maybe COVID and gotten over, it and she said no. Wow. that uh, they've confirmed that the first actual cases were sometime in February. Okay. So.
0: That's good to hear. See,
1: well, Because, Scott, you always wondered if you had it in January. I had it. There's like, no doubt you... in my mind
0: that I had it now. I had every single symptom and then some. I don't know.
1: I still want you to get one of those tests just to see. The
0: antibody test? Yeah. Um, I'm telling you, I don't need to take it.
1: We'll put money on it, though.
0: Oh, is that what you want to do? Yeah, I want to make a game game out of this. Um, Have you
2: had the actual test?
1: Scott
0: has. Where they put a
2: swab up into your sinus? Um,
0: Well, they they said to me, because I had the test done back in May. Like I said, I felt kind of funny in May, and I immediately went down the street here, and they had the curbside COVID testing. And uh, right. they, they said, I'm like, are you guys going to stick that thing up my nose? Because that's just going to suck really bad. And they said, we don't need to do that anymore. We actually do have a throat swab test that's available now. So they, I just had the throat swab test done, and they said it's just as effective as the, the nose thing. Really? Yeah. That's what they told me. Because
2: my wife, my wife had to have the test before having surgery, and they were still using the uh, sinus swab Really? Which was really painful.
0: Oh, it's the worst because I had it yeah. back in March. I got sick and this is when this whole thing started and I was Mr. Paranoid then. And I said, I need a COVID test. And that's before they had them, right? They, they're like, well, you can't get one, but we'll test you anyways. And they did it for the flu. Uh, they tested me for the flu. And that's when they did the no- they did a nose thing then. And that, yeah, that was just, I, that really sucked. I really, that was really uncomfortable. Let's just put it that well,
1: way. Well, they finally, I guess they're starting to develop uh, ways to test your blood. I think you're spit, yeah. And there was like one other thing um, that they could uh, use. So I, I think this is going to be better because there's a lot of people that are scared of doctors, scared of needles, scared of getting things jammed, to, you know, up your nose to your brain. Yeah. And they're not getting tested for fear. Yeah. And then maybe still walking around and spreading it. So, Mark, with all of this going on, with this COVID nightmare that is literally some feels like something out of a science fiction novel during quarantine has this inspired you to write anything like <laughs> <laughs> i mean i would think if you're a writer right now it's like yeah you just pull from the you know pick from well, the candy well you have the time for it. you certainly jar. have
0: the time to do it it seems
1: like <laughs> yeah there's inspiration yeah well, I, I was everywhere. writing
2: two stories for you guys but uh i just keep thinking about the stand by stephen king yeah and uh i read that quite a long time ago and um uh, of course a lot of that just seems very similar to what he wrote, but fortunately it's not as deadly as Captain Trips was in that book, which was like uh, something like 90, 95% fatal, you know, and just wiped out most of the planet.
1: And that, when this all happened, that was one of the books that kept popping up, like on social media, people were like, this is just like Stephen King's book. There's so much things that parallel many of Stephen King's (laughs) books.
2: (laughs) One of the, one of the funniest tweets I read was that Stephen King said, COVID-19 is nothing like the stand. It's nowhere near as deadly. And some person said, did you actually read the book? Oh. oh. (laughs) I just love that. Uh, That was one of my favorite quote of the year. (laughs) You don't know what you're talking about, Stephen King. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: You, know,
1: you only wrote the book. You only wrote the book. That's a, that's a typical Twitter <laughs> comment.
0: <laughs> but yeah, this does seem, and this is something I know I've been saying a lot of here, it does seem like, you know, for some people that are artists and whatnot, I can't say that I did much. I've been not very productive. But I think a lot of people have taken the time to, yeah, be creative, and because they have the time to actually do this stuff now. Um, I guess that's what you were talking about, Amber. Is yeah. It, was this something that you uh, kind of exercised, this t- the time you had to do that?
2: Are you asking her or me?
0: No, no, I'm sorry, you, Mark.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm working on a vampire novel. Um, but, um, you know, I've I've been retired. I'm on Social Security, um, uh-huh. giving away personal information. <laughs> um, so our schedules really haven't altered much because we both work from home anyway. Okay. The only thing is I really miss going to the movies, I have to tell you.
1: Yeah, that's kind of that's a bummer for anybody that really enjoys the theater experience. I don't know when that's going to go back to any type of normalcy. I I really don't know how
2: they're going to manage that, especially since they're having these spikes where people are getting in close proximity, and then all of a sudden there's a huge spike in that area, like Texas and Arizona.
0: I know, and that's uh, the scary part. All that. You know, the funny thing for me, I, I mean. I I like to go to concerts. I like seeing bands play, you know, big and small. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I've kind of gotten used to this to a certain degree. I've been saying this a lot that I've kind of enjoyed just not having to really be running around, uh, you know, especially on the weekends. I just kind of hang around the house and sit on the porch and just let the world go by. And I I mean, there's things I like to do. Um, There's a lot. There's vacations I've missed this year already, but I'm kind of just enjoying just not having to be running around and being in the car and being on the road. I'm just kind of staying stationary and it's nice for a change not to be running around. Yep. So that's something I'm trying to pull out of this that I, something positive is like, well, this is a time to kind of recharge and relax a little bit if you can. You
2: um, know, and I'll tell you the wildlife is really glad of, uh, you know, the absence of oh humans yeah. in parks and, uh, campgrounds and, you know, various, they had a really nice picture of a, uh, a, um, coyote looking up at the mountains in a yosemite parking lot or something like that you know and it was empty and there was just this animal you know enjoying his day
0: yeah not having to be dodging people all day long the environment (laughs) got a break the environment's getting a break exactly a little
1: bit i probably not so much as you know manufacturing and stuff starts back up again but uh for a hot second there like emissions and everything were totally down yeah um i've noticed around here though in metro detroit that traffic's still way
0: down Traffic is still, like it's, it's I, reasonable I, I, I now. I think it's 50% down still. Yeah, it, it's reasonable now. I mean, a lot of people... We had,
2: we, we had to drive to UCLA Med Center, and there were people doing like 90 miles an hour, and my wife saw a highway patrol car up on a bluff just watching. You know, and nobody was getting pulled over. Now, I wouldn't trust myself to go that fast, but it was kind of amazing. But now traffic's starting to pick up again, yeah. and... Uh, you know, people are driving a little more reasonably, mm-hmm. but the roads are more crowded than they were for a while.
0: So we are living, it seems like, in a science fiction novel now. And
2: that's it what certainly seems. So. It
0: certainly seems so. And that's kind of what we wanted to chat about today was, um, you know, science fiction and, you know, as stories, I guess, you know, as an expression, as a piece of art. Um, and as also, I think, something that, you know, it's it's Something I think that's, for people that really love science fiction, it's a part of their, it's a part of their person, it's part of their self, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I want you, I mean, if we, I'm going to give the floor to you, Mark, here. But I mean, because I want to hear what your thoughts are on science fiction, and we're going to go from there, right? But I mean, let's just okay. hear what you have to say about it.
2: Well, uh, just to define the term, you know, science fiction is also called speculative fiction, mm-hmm. and usually explores the potential consequences of scientific, social, social, and or technological innovations. And uh, a lot of science fiction, especially in the early days, tried to evoke a sense of wonder or dread. And horror, by contrast, looks to generate fear, loathing, or disgust, many times with eerie or supernatural beings and settings. But the two can intersect. You know, like some people say that the very first science fiction novel, true science fiction, was Frankenstein. Which is science fiction and horror, you know, because Mary Shelley, was who was 17, by the way, at the time. Was she really? When she wrote it. Wow. um, She was going off of things she'd read about galvanism, where they were trying to reanimate humans with uh, electric current. And also there was a uh, chemist named Johann Dippel who had developed a chemical means which he said would extend human lifespans. And then in that, she mixed a lot of metaphysics and philosophy and, you know, her own dreams and came up with this amazing novel, you know, that that created an entire genre of horror. I mean, the mad doctor and his creation, you know, that's that all goes back to her.
0: And that how long ago was that again?
2: Uh, Frankenstein was published in 1818 is
0: that old
2: and so she preceded h.g wells and jules verne wow so i think in a way she's like the mother of science fiction i mean there there are stories about aliens and other planets and stuff that go all the way back to like the second century but a lot of science fiction writers say that they believe that frankenstein is the first true science fiction novel
0: i guess my question is I was like, well, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, go you, ahead, Scott. Okay. Um, so that's the, I mean, that's what, I mean, people, as far as the, the, the de facto first science fiction story is Frankenstein. So I guess, what are our earmarks? And I know this isn't that, that, maybe I'm trying to quantify this too much, and if I am, just call me on it. I mean, as far as what speculative fiction or science fiction is, I guess what made f- Frankenstein that, you know, as far as being classified as that, what were the earmarks? And I guess going forward, what were the earmarks to define what sci-fi science fiction or speculative fiction is? Does that make sense here? You follow me?
2: Yeah. I I would say that, that Mary Shelley, like I said, she was inspired by some scientific advances in her day. Mm -hmm. So she employed those like the monster being reanimated, you know, both through chemicals and, um, lightning. Um, and then, of course, she takes it into a real philosophical territory where the monster considers the scientist his father and then is rejected. And she actually had a baby that was stillborn, and her husband, Percy Shelley, was kind of revolted by it and left to go have an affair with her sister. Ah. So this whole idea of a child being you know, denied by its father and, and uh, rejected really informed her writing.
0: Yeah, clearly. But sci- <laughs> I'm
2: sorry. Science fiction at its core looks at scientific advances or social advances, um, whether in psychology or, or sociology or whatever, and technology, and basically says, what if? What if people could teleport? You know, what if people um, could read each other's minds? Mm-hmm. And this is in contrast to fantasy, which is usually based on myth and legends and um magic, things like that. So Harry Potter is a fantasy, whereas, um, oh, any one of Asimov's books, say, are, are science fiction. Yeah. And then you have people like Bradbury that wrote both. You know, he wrote fantasy, he wrote science fiction, and he wrote horror. Mm. But, um, you know, it's it's much rarer in, in, to find ghost stories in science fiction than either horror or fantasy. And a lot of times, um, ghosts in science fiction are energy manifestations. Yeah. and And if they are supernatural, then it's often what are the implications of being in the presence of a ghost or being able to communicate with ghosts. And I think I mentioned one time in one of our talks that Robert Sheckley wrote a novel called Immortality Incorporated, and there is a technological device called a spiritual switchboard where you can talk to the departed.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Um, I remember that.
2: And and it was was a device that because sometimes the ghost couldn't be heard, and it would amplify the signal, and then they could talk to someone just like you and I are talking on the phone.
1: And that's – I just have to say real quick, that is – exactly what evp is in the paranormal well that's but and people, ghost boxes well and, itc and yeah things ITC. Like that. I, that's
0: kind of what the idea and I think, what people want yeah
1: except for we do want it you know what if we could figure out a way to make it clear so i yeah. that, i have that now that what if what if in the back of my head
0: mm-hmm, exactly sorry right marisa mark
2: and and that would that would totally transform you know human society if it was Proven that you can actually communicate with the dead, and it wasn't some kind of, um, you know, charlatan, or it wasn't some signal noise or something like that. That you could actually talk to your great uncle Joe or something like that. Right. And he would tell you where that money was buried on the <laughs> old farm.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, uh. one thing I often say, and my my, I say this example all the time on the show. Uh, I and it goes back to to well, obviously. Uh, Star Trek, which is, you know, hard sci-fi, right? And one of the things I always point out and I, I keep pointing out is on that show, they had TV screens where you could talk to each other and you'd hear each other's voice and you'd see each other, right? And I remember being, right. a, I remember being a kid watching that thing and that was like the most cool thing ever. Like, oh, I can actually, you know, you can be like, you know, on the other side of, 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 the, of the Enterprise somewhere in the engine room and... Spock can be up in up on the bridge and you guys could com, you know converse on these TVs back and forth right and right. I was like that's the most amazing thing ever well you know we, we, we can never do that and then now here we are we have devices that we can carry around with us <laughs> and anywhere yeah, you want exactly. anywhere in the world. Right, Uh, you can do a a voice to voice, face to face communication now, and I use that example all the time. But it's perfect because I never thought we'd ever see something like that. See, and
1: I I think that's I think it's slightly different because I feel like with science fiction and watching Star Trek as a kid and seeing those devices versus watching something fantastical like you know, well, let's just say Harry Potter, just because it was there or any any type of fantasy thing, magic based fantasy thing. At least when I was watching Star Trek. That seemed believable. You wanted it and you wanted to attain it, but you had no idea when it would happen. Well, it it seemed seemed believable.
0: It It made sense, but it just didn't seem like it was attainable when I was a kid. Well, yeah,
1: like versus just magic and wands and like, you know, dragons coming out of the sky, which let's just say it's probably not going to happen. It's fantasy. And, And I think that's the cool thing about science fiction is it kind of looks way ahead sometimes to the point where it does seem maybe unattainable and then look like you said look where we are right now it's like oh crap
0: we got it <laughs> well that goes back to what well, you, you
2: know that there, mm-hmm. there are scientists working today who grew up on star trek
0: mm-hmm.
2: they were thinking i want a replicator yep. or you know and you get a 3d printer or i want to be able to teleport or have a scanner and some of that stuff is actually in development you know and it's going to be refined and and uh improved and you know one day you'll be able to have a doctor just run a little thing over your body and it'll tell him exactly what's wrong with you or mm-hmm. they'll be able to you know teleport matter i think at some point i won't be the first to test it but <laughs> <No. you know.
0: laughs> no. well and that's the you know, what you said that's the key to it is is the the the, the term well the phrase what if and that question it, it gets asked and yeah, you're right. There's people that become they become assessed or interested in those ideas and they find a way to make it actually work. And that's what I love. I've always loved about science fiction is that, yeah, you're right. I think real things have been born from science fiction. Some kids saw something on Star Trek or some other show and said, hey, man, you know, that could I, I want I want that to happen. It starts as a dream, I think. And then somebody, yes, they work, exactly. you can work to that goal and find out like, no, it isn't It isn't a miracle, it isn't magic, it isn't fantasy, it's something we can manipulate and master and reproduce over and over again. And that's why I think science fiction is, to me, one of the most important genres of book or film or whatever it is out there, because I think, above all, it makes you think. And that's what I and love about it. I think,
2: yeah, it. it inspires people. Exactly. You know, um, or it can be a cautionary tale, like, let's not do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know.
0: Mm-hmm, exactly, um,
2: and I don't know. Have you guys ever talked about Dan Aykroyd? Because I was thinking about the film Ghostbusters. Oh yeah, which we, is science fiction and horror. You know, because comedy, they invent yeah. technology to detect ghosts, repel them, capture and contain them. Mm-hmm. And Aykroyd was of is a firm believer in spiritualism, and his whole family has been involved in that. His great grandfather yeah. used to correspond with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle about spirits. And then his father wrote a book called A History of Ghosts, which is about his family's historical involvement in the spiritualist movement. So yeah. the first script for Ghostbusters was really dark and would have cost like a billion dollars to make because they went to hell, you know, and they, you know, <laughs> all this dark stuff was happening. And then they kind of pulled it back and let let's just keep it in New York and let's make it funny. And you know it it made a bazillion dollars.
0: <laughs> I know they're go ahead.
2: Amy. I, and
1: I was just gonna say, I'd love to read the original script if it exists, you know, just it'd be fun to see what they what they change. I'm
2: sure you could probably find it online yeah, these maybe. days.
0: Dan Aykroyd has 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 had his fingers in a lot of things um, strange and weird. He's also specifically Mufon. Mufon, big time. He's he's a big believer in UFOs that were being visited. He is, yes. So he's he's been all over the map with stuff and I've I've you know, I've loosely followed him over the years and you know, in appearances, interviews he's done and talked about this particular stuff. And Ghostbusters, I think. And yeah, you're right. I think if there's as far as the ghost hunting community, or the, I should say the you know I call it, i like to call it the ghost observing community or whatever. But um, I think that may be the number one inspiration for people, as goofy as that sounds. Because every convention I go to, there there has to be the group or a couple groups oh, of people yeah. dressed up like like the Ghostbusters, which oh. I think is I think it's funny. It's yeah. fun to watch that. But I do think that may have in the '80s. Uh, yeah. inspired some people to go beyond. And I know, you know, maybe even me. I mean, I, I spent time reading ghost stories before I saw that movie, but that may, I mean, I can't remember all that stuff now, but that may have even made me a little bit more interested in the field and say, well, they can actually catch stuff in a box, which we know that's kind of fantasy, but it does have a science, a hard science edge to it. And Egon may have been right, and maybe, maybe like you know, that is something that we may see down the road. And I keep saying that about spirits and the and the ghost hunting thing is maybe in, not in our lifetimes. Possibly, m- most likely, maybe the technology hasn't caught up with that either. And like you said, like a paranormal switchboard or a spiritual switchboard, someday we may have that. Who knows? No. The, the, the technology may catch up. And that will not be fantasy well, anymore. And
1: that's why I find it interesting that Mark had mentioned that ghosts don't show up that often in science fiction. Because what a perfect thing to speculate on, really, if you think about it. Like, our consciousness. Where do we go when we die? How You know, what happens to our bodies? I, I know it's maybe not a mechanist, mechanistic thing, nuts and bolts type thing. But just there is a lot going on. And then, yeah, sure, with the devices, like if we can use these devices to communicate with consciousness after it's, you know, dead or moved on or in yeah. a different form. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I know, Mark, do you, do you, we were talking about that before we, of course, we went down the rabbit hole. Um, and <laughs> I, but you, we were talking about how I think we would, you were saying that the ghosts uh, in Science Fi, they kind of look at it like an energy um, manifestation. Uh, what other things do have sci-fi writers written about when it comes to, the, to ghosts?
2: Well, um I'll say really quickly, you know, there were ghosts in Star Wars. You know, there, yeah, were, there was.
0: Who was the ghost? You, well, Ana-
1: well, well
2: Obi- Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Anakin, well, oh. Obi-Wan, Anakin, yep. you know, after they die, they all come back as as phantasms.
1: Yeah, okay, and, uh,
2: yeah. And And you know what, And then Go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say in Star Trek I also had ghosts, but they were usually tricks by aliens or alien manifestations or somebody was out of phase with their reality like Kirk, you know, so I don't think there was ever actually what we would call a ghost in star Trek, but there were things that seemed ghost like,
0: yeah.
2: And, um, in science fiction also, um, there's a term ghost in the machine, which I'm sure you've heard of. Mm -hmm. And, um, originally it was a, a criticism of Descartes who said there was this mind body duality, but, um, people like Arthur C. Clark started using it to describe artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. you know, and, yeah. and the, uh, the um, agency of robots or androids or computers. And, you know, so there have been books based on that. There's a book called The Cybernetic Samurai by Victor Milan where an AI becomes sentient and is taught the code of the Bushido, uh, the samurai code, and he becomes powerful and almost godlike, but he's kind of like Superman. You know, Superman was this godlike figure that had these simple Kansas farmers kind of inform his, you know, fill him with virtue and, and, you know, a code of honor and things. And this samurai, he's godlike, but his actions are held in check by these teachings. And then there was a series, Caprica. I don't know if you guys ever watched that. No, it was a, I heard that was really sort good, of a, though. Yeah, it was a sequel to Battlestar Galactica, okay. and there's a young woman who's killed in an explosion, but her consciousness had kind of been uploaded as a virtual entity in a game, and then she was able to uh, possess a robot, and then later lived in this sort of cybernetic afterlife. So a lot of um, science fiction writers kind of look at, um, you know, mind as you know something to. Examine as, like, an uh, artificial intelligence.
1: But then there are
2: ghosts. Ray Bradbury wrote this great story called The Exiles where Poe, Shakespeare, um, Dickens, they all live on Mars as
1: ghosts (laughs)
2: because people don't believe in them anymore. And these humans land on Mars, and they want to fight them, but the humans burn the last of their books because fantastic literature has been outlawed. Uh, And it's kind of sad because all the ghosts are sent into oblivion. And this one astronaut looks off in the distance and he sees Oz crumbling, you know, the the Emerald City. And he tells his captain, his captain says, well, you need a psyche, Val, you know, because you're obviously nuts. And, uh, you know, Bradbury was big on censorship and uh, or against censorship, I should say, and uh, burning books and just losing your imagination.
0: Yeah, well, that's, that's similar to, uh, was it, Fahrenheit 451? Same idea. Oh, yeah. All the books were burned. Yeah. Different setting, different type of world. They were still on Earth, I think, uh, but it's the same idea. And, yeah, he was very big in, uh, on censorship and things like that. Um, you know, the thing I'm seeing a lot now, the trend in sci-fi now, now we don't need to go too far down this, but it is an interesting idea as far as this, you know the human soul is it – the trend, I think, with like newer sci-fi is, and I just finished uh, reading the latest Neil Stevenson novel. Uh, Do- it's called "Fall or Dodge in Hell," and it covers this topic too. And it's the idea of that our consciousness can be uploaded digitally, basically now, right? right. And you're seeing that a lot, you know. And you know, I'm seeing it more and more, and, and of course, and people are kind of taking that idea, running with it, and kind of putting their own spin or flavor on it, so we're getting a lot of variety, but I've seen that in a handful of TV shows, and, a, and there's a handful of books that are doing that now, and it seems like it's kind of like the new hot yeah, kid on the block. I just watched, yeah,
1: I, I just watched a comedy on Amazon Prime called, I think it was Upload, Upload, or, upload yeah. yeah and
2: Uploaded, it, I was just going to yeah, mention that, yeah. It,
1: I mean, it was it was really funny, but yet I thought, oh my gosh, what a way to market the human consciousness to say oh you've died well now choose your afterlife would you like the disney package would you like over here would you like to be the billionaire oh, black mirrors black uh, would, mirror has you know, a bunch of that too that, yeah that it's series. just and then putting your conscious like pain you know you're rich so your consciousness is going to go stay at this swanky golf coffee you know country club for the rest of your afterlife and it, right. it's it's wild to think that even in the afterlife We're
0: gonna quantize and we're gonna, turn yeah, it into We're an gonna monetize platform. the afterlife. Yeah. And then we're exactly. gonna also
1: continue to divide it by class and have structure and, and that kind of thing. Like of course you know, we would do that. But I, I do there was that was the scene out of upload, and this isn't ruining anything for people who haven't watched it, but the I think the funniest moment is when the main character goes to visit the lower class part of the 2 the, gigs. Yeah, the 2 gig cuz that's all you get the data you get <laughs> for your consciousness for that month. And there's like some kid just playing with like a box and there's like some guy that makes like I think he was actually missing like his private part and he made um made a new one out of a lean cuisine box because lean cuisine was the uh what was it the not the mascot what am I thinking of they they hosted the, It was the, one of their
0: yeah advertising. Oh, right, yeah. sponsors. sponsors there we go that's yeah. the
1: word sponsors of the two gig place and I don't know why but that just cracked me up and I'm like of course and if you
2: use if you used up your two gig allotment then you just free yeah until
1: some of you know, the pays. next
2: cycle so you just sit there
1: frozen. Yeah. So
0: that just sucks.
1: And I don't even think you <laughs> you wouldn't even know you were frozen. You would just be boom like pause. And then Well yeah, your
0: consciousness is just more just, it's more or less being controlled yeah, by a CPU, it's so I mean, yeah, there's nothing I mean and that's the thing.
1: But then how can you continue to be sentient I guess as a digital upload because how could you continue to evolve? So that's where the that's where a question of like the, how sophisticated the software gets, you know, and all that. But that's, right. again, where you speculate. <laughs> yeah, yeah speculative right?
2: fiction. That's, so. Yeah, and then some people think that one day we'll be able to either upload into an Android body that's virtually indestructible, and so you'll have your consciousness and everything. Um, personally, I wouldn't want to live inside a robot if it had, you know, like very primitive, you know, uh, sensory receptors and things like that so that you're cut off, basically, from the world, but your existing literally as a ghost in a machine.
0: Yeah, literally.
2: But some people picture it as, you know, being immortal.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's the attraction to it. I think some, I mean, I think the world spiritually is changing. And and when I say spiritually, I guess in this sense is that, I mean, I think a lot more people are, you know, and, and I'm not saying anything against either side. I'm just saying that I think a lot more people are becoming atheists now. They're they're turning away from uh, from the church and spiritualism in respect to that, and I think that's where these ideas come from. They're like, well, there is no, we don't think there is any type of afterlife, and there isn't there isn't this this deity that looks over us and controls everything like we've been told all these, all this time. Science has proven that now, so we don't, But we we still want to be immortal. We want to live forever. Right, so right, we're gonna devise, you know, and this is just conceptual now, but I'm sure there's somebody out there playing around with this as we speak. Uh, we're going to just live forever like this, and it's going to be totally awesome. And I think on paper the idea is we're going to go into this, you know, this unlimited map, whatever. War, war, I don't know, I, There's a million of those games. I, I don't know all the names, but we're going to go into something like that and we're going to have this living avatar that can do anything it wants. And I think that's kind of the fantasy that people have about this. And I guess, and that's what I laughed about when I saw some t- a little bit of upload, for example. I'm like, this is the reality of it right here. That thing's right. way ahead of its time because it's way ahead of its time, but at the same time, it's right with the time because it fits right in with all the mm-hmm. BS we deal with now. Right. So, I mean.
2: Yeah, everything goes to the rich first.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
0: they and, and uh, go ahead.
2: The rest of us get the uh, two gigs or nothing. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> Sponsored by Link <Lean> Cuisine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's your that's your cafeteria in eternity. And they I mean, would suck the pizzas that, are okay. That's this
0: other side of sci-fi <laughs> that I've seen. That and, and, and what I, about
1: I, Devs? I mean, Devs kind of well, delves. the same.
0: I don't want to. Let's not spoil that.
1: Though. Oh, we don't want to spoil Devs.
0: Well, I'm sorry, I want everybody to see that, and I don't want to spoil it for them.
1: Mark, did you see Devs on Hulu by any chance?
2: I've seen about three episodes, so okay. I was going to watch the rest <laughs> of it. Okay. So is it good? Is it worth? Yeah, it's
0: fantastic. It's Alex Garland. I love that guy. Yeah, that's it's fantastic. But there's and and things like Debs and things like Black Mirror and even stuff like Upload. I think was it's something like they call it like. Oh, and of course I'm going to forget the name now. It's it's not too far in the future, really. Like like a lot of stuff with Black Mirror, for example. A lot of the technology that's being put in front of you, what we considered sci-fi, and I say that in quotes. Is they call it near future. That's the actual name. Like near future. It isn't like super long.
1: Yeah. It makes it even more believable. It makes it even more, you know, because you're still,
0: you're dealing with, you know, you're still dealing with likes on your social media but it's like now it's just something that blinks up in front of your eyes because it's embedded in your brain or something like that. And that's all stuff right. that I think is very it's very feasible and very believable that that could happen down the road. and It's called near future type stuff too. And that's what a lot of, like that's what devs is I mean because I mean even at this point you 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 and if you've only been 3 episodes into it it's about quantum computing which is something that's happening right now as we speak. Right. It's it's right. a very it's a very Yeah, a, those exist. They exist. Those are machines that are out there right now. Um, um, so, I mean, these, there's also the near future stuff that people are getting into, which I think, again, can inspire just as much as a super long way out future thing where we have these gigantic, massive freighters floating through space and stuff now. I mean, right. it's it, they're just as inspiring. But, I mean, that's that's the sci-fi stuff. And I know we could just riff and riff and riff on just these ideas of what sci-fi is. However, um, you have a couple of stories, I guess, that, that we just... I we, do. We do. And... Let me get this straight. And these you, are new, right? You, you wrote these for the show, Mark? Yes. Oh, that's so cool. Yep. Why? That's- they're, they're
2: both <laughs> that's so uh, cool. actual ghosts, ghost stories. Uh. And uh, one is um, dramatic and the other one is funny. Oh, I love hopefully. this.
0: Well, do we want to? Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I guess... Uh, do we just want to, Amber? Do we just want to give Mark the floor here, and we'll just yes. turn our mics off? Well, I mean, not turn them off, yeah. but we'll just shut up for a change, right? Both of us, we'll <laughs> shut up, we'll be quiet. Let the okay. show
1: begin. All right. Well,
0: Mark, yeah. I mean, this is what we're excited about here. So, um, Mark, the floor is yours. Um, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for thank writing us for the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you. So, all right.
2: Well, okay. I appreciate being here. So the first one is called the Ghost Gate, and here we go. The crew finished building the portal just before 3 p.m. Leonard Garrison had supervised every step of its construction, from the placement of the modified Faraday cage within the framework to the five inner channels which would circulate Quicksilver, Aqua Fortis, Aqua Regia, Aqua Tofani, and Holy Water. The Aqua Tofani, also known as arsenic trioxide, had been especially tricky. One of the workmen, Jim Torres, accidentally damaged that particular conduit and was currently in intensive care. Garrison wasn't worried about a lawsuit. Torres had signed a waiver pertaining to hazardous materials when he signed on. Besides, Garrison was paying for his medical bills, which he felt was more than generous. He looked out at the gleaming structure and smiled. Soon he would be the wealthiest, most famous man on the planet. The finished portal was a golden rectangle, 10 feet high and 6 feet wide. It looked like an immense doorway, part of it extending another 6 feet underground. The doorway was covered in gold, inscribed with Egyptian hieroglyphics and various arcane designs, sigils and exhortations in Sanskrit, Latin, Gaelic, Aramaic, Hebrew and Babylonian, as well as languages purported to be from the lost lands like Lemuria, Lemuria, Moo, and Atlantis. Standing in the middle of a green meadow, covered in wildflowers and shining brilliantly in the summer sunlight, the portal took on a surreal aspect, a golden doorway that seemed to have peered from nowhere, an entryway to lands both exotic and forbidden. It had cost in excess of $2 million. Garrison knew that many of his crew thought he was insane. Wait until it works, he thought. Then we'll see who's crazy. Andrea Wong and Tim Eisenberg began connecting power cables that would run from the farmhouse to the portal. Grad students from the university, they were the only two who had not derided his latest project. They had dubbed his device the EIC for ectoplasmic ionization chamber. That was fine for scientists, but Garrison was a businessman and all about branding. When success was confirmed, he would christen it the Ghost Gate. He had already trademarked the name and had patented the device. A team of very expensive lawyers was standing by in case anyone tried to infringe on his invention, design, or advertising. He wiped his brow and Janice appeared at decide side with a tall glass of sweet tea. He took it and nodded, it to, nodded to her. Janice had been his assistant for 10 years and was able to anticipate his needs, whether for a cold beverage or or for information on competitors or potential allies. Wang and Eisenberg tell me it will be several hours before the system is calibrated, he told her. Perhaps you'd like to lay down, she said. You haven't slept in 36 hours. He nodded. He hadn't wanted to leave the project unattended. This was his baby, after all. He had done the research, commissioned the blueprints, and had the various components created and then assembled. Garrison stifled a yawn and walked back to the farmhouse. The former former owner had not wanted to sell, but Garrison had offered too much money for him to refuse. When the farmer had decided the land was worth considerably more, two men from the private security company Garrison employed visited the farmer and convinced him it would be in his best interest to take the money and move, preferably out of state. Garrison knew that some would frown on such strong-arm measures, but he had a much grander plan plan for the land than growing soybeans. A prominent ley line ran through the property on a straight line from a Mesolithic stand of stones to an inscribed monolith known locally as the Coopersville Menhir. Garrison believed that the dead traveled along the ley lines to the afterlife, the land of the dead, heaven, hell. To Garrison, the destination did not matter, at least for now. He wanted to prove the existence of life after death, of specters moving among us, hence the ghost gate. If his theory was correct, the portal would hold a ghost within a restraining field, thanks to the Faraday cage he had redesigned. The various arcane symbols and exhortations would not only make unseen specters visible, it would allow for communication between the living and the dead. Garrison went into the living room and lay down on the sofa. As he drifted off, an image filled his thoughts of an unending stream of ghosts, following the ley lines around the earth, the lines extending out into space and filled with as many wraiths as were, there were stars in the sky. Janice woke him three hours later. She brought him an espresso, which he sipped after washing his face. He felt much better. Garrison looked at Janice, his eyebrows raised. Wang and Eisenberg believe they'll be ready for the first test in one hour. Garrison nodded. Let's get some footage of me prior to the first trial. They went out on the front porch, and he positioned himself with the ghost gate to his left in the background. While he had slept, the crew had put up several tables, sheltered by large canvas pavilions. On the tables were large monitors and state-of-the-art computers. Cameras had been positioned around the portal and an emergency generator had also been brought in. Garrison smiled at the hive of activity, activity that would bring him countless rewards. He looked in the camera and Janice nodded. Hello, my name is Leonard Garrison. Today I come to you not as a businessman and entrepreneur, but as an explorer. Like you, I've always wondered what awaits us after death. Do we live on, albeit in some other form? And if so, can we communicate with the dead? He gestured to the portal. This portal is my invention. It is my belief that ghosts travel strands of energy called ley lines that encircle the globe. This device is placed along one such strand. I believe that once activated, the portal will allow us not only to see these otherworldly specters, but to communicate with them garrison put on a look of wonder and humility a look he had been practicing all his adult life can you imagine no longer will you wonder what lies on the under, on the other side you will know no longer will you miss your loved ones wonder how they will do how they, are, how they are doing you will know he gestured with a look of modesty on his face that was also well practiced i know it sounds far fetched impossible even insane We'll be testing the portal shortly, and I know our world is going to be very, very different after today. He smiled the gracious and kindly smile of a great man. Janice switched off the camera. Andrea Wong called to him from the front steps. Mr. Garrison, we're ready for the first test. Testing began promptly at 6.30 p.m. The first series was a bust. Their portal would begin to power up, and the breakers would be tripped in the farmhouse and Wong, Eisenberg, and the techs would have to make adjustments. The second series was more successful, but the interface between the gate and the bank of computers had to be recalibrated several times. Garrison kept his cool. He knew he had good people working for him. And what were a few hours when you were making history? By 10 PM, it was quite dark, but floodlights had been set up to illuminate the area. The portal gleamed in the harsh light its mysteries still waiting to be unlocked. A pickup truck came up the main road. The driver parked in the makeshift lot next to the farmhouse, and two people exited the vehicle. The driver was a young man, tall and lean. His forearms were covered in tattoos, and he looked both sad and angry. With him was a woman much shorter and heavier. She was dabbing her eyes with a handkerchief. Garrison watched them approach. Two of his security people went out to meet them, Garrison wondered how they had gotten past the guard at the front gate. Janice nodded to him and went to join the security team and the new arrivals. There was a brief conversation that Garrison couldn't hear, but the young man was clearly agitated. Janice came back, looking troubled. What's going on, Garrison asked. That's Maria Torres and her son, Michael. Garrison looked at her. They're the wife and son of Jim Torres, she explained, the workman who had been exposed to aqua tapani, arsenic trioxide, he was negligent, Garrison replied. I'm paying his hospital. Torres died this afternoon, Janice said quietly. Now that was unfortunate. He felt sorry for the man's family, but was wondering how this might affect his project. They want to talk to you, Janice went on. Garrison nodded. Please have them wait in the house, he said. I'll be with them as soon as we conclude the tests." I'm not sure they'll have them wait, Janice. Give them a beverage and see they are comfortable. If they refuse to wait, have them call for an appointment. He almost told her how the security escort the security guard escort them off the property, but realized that could be a PR nightmare. Janice nodded, and he watched her walk back to Maria and Michael Torres, another brief conversation, and she escorted them to the house. Michael Torres looked his way, and his face was all grim lines in the bright glare. Garrison called over to Yates, who was chief of security. Who's on the gate? Miller, mister Garrison. Find out why the hell he let those two on the property, and in the middle of a goddamn test run, Yates nodded briskly and moved off to speak into his phone. Garrison turned back to Andrea Wong. How are we doing? Ready to proceed, Mr. Garrison. She indicated the keyboard. All he had to do was press enter, and the portal would be activated. Something told him it would not fail this time. It would work. The ghost gate. And then the world would be his. Garrison smiled at both Andrea and Tim and pressed the key. There was a low hum. The lights around the portal began to dim. Inside the ghost gate, pumps were quietly circulating the arcane fluids. The earthly smells of the meadow grass were supplanted by a smell of ozone and something underlying that, something both beautiful and rank. The portal began to glow, and the mystic symbols in arcane languages began to fluoresce. At first they were a soft blue, but then became a brilliant violet. Garrison watched in awe. The ghost gate. Within the portal, there was a bluish-gray shimmer, almost like an old television that had been switched off. The shimmer became a translucent fog and then dissipated. Just beyond the confines of the portal was a man. He walked slowly toward him. His outline was slightly blurred, and he was colored in various luminescent shades of blue. The man was middle-aged and dressed like a farmhand, in jeans and a plaid shirt. Behind this apparition was a line of specters following the ley line solemnly. The ley line was also illuminated, a soft and pulsing green. The man in the lead seemed to take no notice of the portal or the people gathered around it. He just proceeded forward, staring straight ahead but seemingly seeing nothing. Then he reached the portal itself and was trapped within its confines. Garrison stepped forward. Hello, can you hear me? I am... A look of confusion came over the man's face the sigils and cabalistic symbols began to glow orange then a deep crimson they began to pulse the man's look of confusion changed to a look of terror then pain the man screamed soundlessly his face contorted in agony please garrison said we want to learn from you andrea wong was making frenzied adjustments on her computer suddenly a deafening shriek came from the speakers Everyone covered their ears as Andrea struggled to control the volume. "'What's wrong?' shouted Garrison. Both Andrea and Tim shook their heads. The man in the portal hammered frantically as if he were trapped behind thick plexiglass. Tim continued to fine-tune the field generated by the ghost gate. For one millisecond, the man's eyes opened wide. He saw them. Then an orb of virulent yellow and orange appeared in the specter's torso. He looked down in horror as it spread. The phantasm screamed, and despite Andrea decreasing the volume to almost zero, that scream was heard for a quarter-mile radius. The bright and fiery colors enveloped the man, and he disintegrated, his essence consumed as if by fire, his spectral essence reduced to the equivalent of ectoplasmic ash that wafted in all directions as it disappeared. The next specter moved into the field of the portal. This was a young woman in a nurse's uniform. She was both baffled and fearful that she could not pass. We should shut down the EIC, Tim said. Andrea looked at Garrison, and he shook his head vehemently. Don't shut it down. Reduce the field strength by 25%. Tim looked at Andrea, then made the adjustment. The symbols on the ghost gate dimmed slightly, returning to purple. The nurse pressed ahead of her, but the field still held her fast. She took notice of them. She was clearly in distress, but seemed to be faring better than the man who had preceded her. You, you can see me, she asked Garrison. Yes, what is her, your name, he asked. I have to go, she pleaded. She gestured behind her where hundreds of race waited. We all have to. Please, let us go. Where do you have to go, he asked, hoping the footage would capture to, would show him to be a compassionate but intrepid explorer. She shook her head violently. We, we just go. Please, what is your name? Where did you live? When did but then the sphere of, sphere of noxious colors appeared to her as well, and she was also consumed while screaming. Mr. Garrison, we need to discontinue, Andrea said. This is inhuman. Inhuman. They're already dead, Garrison said, making a mental note to have this exchange edited from the footage. Reduce field strength by another 20%. Tim obeyed, but he wiped his eyes as he did so. With the field at 55%, several of the ghosts slipped through the ghost gate and once again became invisible presumably following the ley line to some unknown destination. Increase to 65% capacity, Garrison ordered. It does us no good if we can't hold them. Again, adjustments were made, and the purple glow of the arcane figures on the golden doorway intensified. Another man appeared at the portal. He was stocky with thinning hair and dressed in a hospital gown. To Garrison, he looked slightly familiar. Both Andrea and Tim gasped. It's Jim Torres, she whispered. Torres looked confused and anxious as the field prevented him from proceeding. He looked at the gate, then directly at Garrison. Mr. Garrison, I can't stay here. Why, Torres? What is compelling you? Torres shrugged, clearly agitated. We must walk. I don't know why. Think, Garrison demanded. What do you remember after dying? Torres shook his head. I don't remember dying. I just remember walking the green line. Garrison was about to continue when Michael Torres appeared at his side. Poffy, he cried, his eyes welling with tears. Jim Torres tried to reach out to his son, but the ghost gate prevented him. Garrison saw the glowing orb begin to form in Torres' torso. Torres looked down in horror and began to scream. You're hurting him, Michael Torres screamed. He turned to Andrea and Tim. Shut this damn thing down. Tim started to type the command. Don't you dare, Garrison shouted. He turned to Yates and motioned with his head to Michael Torres. Get him out of here. Before Yates could react, Michael Torres shoved Garrison into the ghost gate, into the restraining field. Two things happened simultaneously. The restraining field held Garrison's spirit fast as his body tumbled to the ground beyond the portal. The stress of the system retaining two entities caused the system to overload, and several sparking leads blew out of the ghost gate as it went dark. Garrison stared down at his lifeless body. Andrea, Tim, and Yates rushed to Garrison's inert body, trying to revive him. They took no notice of his spectral form. Garrison looked at Jim Torres. He was no longer plagued by whatever malevolent energy had threatened to consume him. He looked at Garrison with contempt and continued past him without a word. Garrison looked at the legion of ghosts now amassed behind them, all of them filled with rage. They moved toward him, unmindful, at least for the moment, of their compulsion to travel the ley line garrison screams lasted far past dawn but not a single living thing heard a sound and that's the end
0: whoa
1: oh i love that
0: well, that was heavy
1: it's well it's, it's, <laughs> it's exactly whoa. what i imagine people doing with that type of technology we have to brand this it's you know I'm going to be so important because if you were someone I'm gonna be that, so rich. Well, and if you were someone that did develop something like that, I mean, your achievement unlocked would be god status because now you've just yeah. solved one of the major problems in life, mysteries in life, which is life after death. But then I like this right. concept because I, I've thought about this this year. Uh, what if the afterlife isn't it? Like, what if you can die in the afterlife too? and you actually kind of just brought that up a little bit about some you know a soul getting destroyed even in the afterlife and i also like yeah, the ley that line where does go i don't know where you That's go after freaky. the afterlife yeah and so right. then the i concept of the ley line too is really interesting because in paranormal research there is sometimes a lot of activity and unusual things that happen along those lines of energy on the earth mm-hmm. and right. so i just yeah no i loved it
0: Heavy, thank you. Heavy, yeah. Wow, that was. I was literally sitting on the edge of my seat, going through that. And what a cool story! Plus, I could really imagine.
1: I could really imagine. I I can't help but imagine a little bit like um, Stargate. Like this, because Stargate was such an awesome movie to me. Yeah. And so I'm kind of imagining yeah. that and, and how that lit up and had all the symbols on it. Yeah, yeah. And um, but
0: the, the thing about that, it, it, it to me, it you know, just being a part of this community and stuff like that, it, it goes, it really does bring up a lot of questions that, you know, you mentioned this a second ago, Amber. Um, and I mean, I know that a lot of people we, you know, we like to associate with are people who are like, look, I'm trying to figure this thing out and devise some device that can answer these questions for us, but I really want it to be free, right? Uh, right, and you know, and that's the stuff that never really gets amplified—that's out there. Like that, there are people that are trying to do stuff on their own dime and their own time, and they want to, you know, just do something for free, right? Very utopian, right? Uh, unfortunately, the stuff that gets amplified are the people that you know that are in it for profit. Or they want to patent it, like you said, Amber. Yeah. Um, you know, they want to make it monetary. They want to make it proprietary. And it's simple as that. And it just seems to never end well.
1: And, and, and this was yeah. a, this was a cautionary tale, too. It's a cautionary tale, yeah. Because it's like, well, you know, what are you going to do if you open this gate up? <laughs> What's going to come <laughs> well, through? Well, that's the
0: first thing I thought, How are you, too. What
1: kind of disruptor are you going to be?
0: Well, yeah, that's what I thought. As soon as, you know, I started, the, the story started unfolding and started... We started, you know, getting to what the where we were at, right? Um, that's when I'm like, oh, this isn't going to end well. Like, what are you messing around with here, man? And you know, my thing was like. I, all of a sudden, I start going through, like, okay, why isn't the city there giving him hell? Like, what the hell are you doing here? What's going on? Blah, blah, blah. Because it seems like anytime you try to do something, people are going to be like, okay, what are you actually doing here? Right? Like Ghostbusters. <laughs> we talked about earlier. They finally came down there and <laughs> shut down the project. They had to shut down the project uh, protection grid and things like that. So, man, fantastic, Mark. Thank you so much, dude. That was such a cool Thank story. You. And we got another one, too, don't we?
2: Yeah, do we have time? Oh, yeah, yeah, we got, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Let's
0: do it. Yeah, and
2: I'm I'm sorry, I stumbled a bit over the no words. Worries. Is that all right? Uh,
0: no, that's yes. no, perfectly fine. No, Not it's a perfectly problem. cool. Okay. No, it's great. No, no okay. problem. We stumble. We, we made a profession out of stumbling over words yeah. here, so we do it every week. So
1: <laughs>
2: <Okay>. <laughs> you fit right then I'm in. Good company. <laughs> yeah, there you go.
0: All right, we're gonna shut up. We're gonna we're gonna. Floor is yours again, Mark.
2: Okay, this one is called Captain Ballard and the Space Wraiths. Sam Ballard was putting butter and jam on his toast when he heard the soft chime in his head. He took a bite of toast, wiped a smear of buttery blackberry jam from his lips, and cued his mentex, whom he had named Francis, by pressing his tongue against his upper left molar. Search completed, came the gentle feminine voice in his head. A holographic heads-up display appeared in front of him. He read the ads as he munched on his breakfast. They were all ships within his price range. Somewhere complete Zaugos, with extensive damage and inoperable star drives, what the sellers termed as fixer uppers, and he dismissed as junk or worse, fauwa. He knew from scanning the ads over the last four months that finding a ship matching his specifications that he could afford was next to impossible. But being stranded on Cestus Seven was driving him crazy. It might be Earth's outermost colony and sparsely populated but it was still too populated and loud for his taste. He had taken to calling his new home planet Sepsis-7. And he missed being in space, commanding his own vessel. His last ship, a Federation Nova-class cruiser christened the Shrike, had been lost after a run-in with the Kregash. His helmsman and tactical officers had both panicked, and the ship was obliterated. Only Ballard and a handful of crew had made it to the escape pods in time. He could have blamed his cowardly bridge officers, but the responsibility was his. He was the captain, after all. He had been court-martialed and drummed out of the fleet. After that, he could only get the most menial of jobs, things they wouldn't risk using expensive androids or alien prisoners on. He had to get back out there. He wasn't naive enough to think he would regain his commission and get an IFW fleet ship. He was just tired of being planet-bound. Space was in his blood. Today's search looked like another dead end. He was ready to switch off the hollow feed when an item caught his eye. Use ship for sale. Metrosian Cruiser Ixo class. Snart drive, Queen Crystal intact. Shields, weapons, life support, all nominal. Perfect for explorers, smugglers, and soldiers of fortunes. fifty thousand fetits or the equivalent in precious metals. Contact Mills Nimbus. Mentex 3 Zao Omega Epsilon 0051A59. Full disclosure ship is haunted. Serious inquiries only. The hollow showed a real beauty with clean lines, minimal blast damage, and almost no magle ray scarring. And the Kuiyun crystal micro hollow showed a complete absence of fractures, defects, or in fact bubbles. A ship with that engine could easily hit jump speed in a nanosecond, he thought. He looked at that one word again, haunted. Really? He couldn't remember the last time he had heard the term. Oh, spacers had plenty of tall tales, but ghost stories were strictly stuff to scare kids into brushing their teeth, preening their feathers, or hawking their midzusners. Perhaps the whole ad was a joke, or a come-on from some new vidstream idiocy. But the ship was a beauty, and the price was a steal. He decided to check it out. Mills Nimbus turned out to be a short and nervous Tangelion. All five of his eyes were covered with antiquated correctional lenses. Ballard wasn't sure if he was cultivating a look of retro sophistication or was just too broke to afford any of the hundreds of optical enhancements and surgeries available in the intergalactic federation of worlds. Nimbus was sweating and constantly wringing its front flippers. The translation interface in his tank of saline solution and methane was glitchy, so Ballard only understood about 75% of what Nimbus said, but he got the gist. No, Nimbus did not own the ship, but he was the middle being for a party who had inherited it from their late progenitors, Fleck and Yaso Yasohoek, who had died when all airlocks on the ship had opened simultaneously somewhere out near Antares. A glitch, Ballard asked. Nimbus looked around nervously as if he was being watched. Ghost, he answered. Ballard tried to keep from laughing. He asked Nimbus if the problem was the airlocks had been fixed, and Nimbus responded that all systems on the ship were nominal. Nimbus then muttered something under his breath, but the translator had problems with the low volume and a sudden sneezing fit on the part of the Tangelion. Ballard believed, he said, that all systems had been nominal when Fleck and Doreen went for an unscheduled spacewalk wearing nothing but their underwear. Ballard made a note to give Francis... "'Made a note to Francis to give all systems a going over. "'Nimbus said Ballard was free to inspect the ship, "'which was berthed in slot 35 of the station. "'If he was satisfied with the vessel, "'then his FEDITs would be deposited in Nimbus's IFW account. "'Will you be coming along?' Ballard asked Nimbus. "'His tank was fitted with anti-gravity pods, "'which would allow him to travel to the berth easily and quickly.' What followed was a frightened exhalation of words the translator either could not or would not translate into Ballard's native Chinglish. Ballard guessed they were Tangelian swear words. The inhabitants of Tangel 7 were well known for their creative use of sarcasm and metaphor, as well as body and ancestor shaming of numerous numerous species. Some members of other races had taken to reciting prime Tangelian rants in bars, Coffee houses and college cafeterias, often to music that was as hard to listen to as the Curses of Tangel 7. Ballard directed Francis to record the exchange and give him a translation later. Nimbus quickly recovered and told Ballard he had another meeting. He gave Ballard the access code and informed him the engines were currently locked out with a 20-level Hedvian encryption. Once Ballard bought the ship, he would be given the appropriate codes. On his way to berth 35, Ballard had Francis check for prospective buyers of the supposedly haunted ship. Francis was able to do even better. She hacked into the security station and obtained footage of five previous individuals who inspected the ship. All five had entered the ship and had beat a hasty retreat within 20 minutes. One, a big bruiser who had commanded a mercenary group out out near Aldebaran, fled the ship when crying like a baby. In his haste, he ran straight into a bulkhead and knocked himself out. Maybe there was something to the ship being haunted after all. Nah, ghosts were just a load of fai Still, it was better to be cautious. He told Francis to have countermeasures in place if he were attacked. Ballard caught sight of the ship and gasped. It was even more beautiful than the hollows had led him to believe. Sleek and shining, it put the Shrike to shame. Here was a ship designed by an artist, not an engineer. The Matrosians were the Michelangelo's and Urals of ship design. Such a ship would require a crew of 20 with room for a dozen passengers. He knew from the specs that there were also spacious cargo holds and two shuttles aboard for landing parties. Ballard walked through the umbilical to the main airlock. He keyed in the access code and the door opened swiftly and silently. Here it goes, he thought. Ballard walked in, hand on his Gaharn blaster, which was known as, on most worlds as a bone broiler. The ship was silent and the lighting was dim. Lights to operational level, he said, and the lights brightened. Nothing wrong with a vocal interface. He started toward the turbolift. A screaming head came flying down the corridor straight at him. Ballard dunked instinctively and the head flew past him. The head banked, did a 180 and came at it again, still screaming. Ballard drew his bone broiler and fired, hitting the screaming face dead center. The pulse beam passed through the specter and blackened the plaque placed there by the previous, and dead, Captain. The flying head, laughing now, flew through a wall and disappeared. Then more specters appeared, and zombies, and vampires, melting and scabrous skeletons, lizard men, amphibious women, a regulan hell beast, hordes of venomous spiders, a centaur riddled with weeping sores and massive boils, a decomposing hag. Ballard fired at the first dozen individuals, all to no effect. He consulted Francis whether what he was seeing were merely holograms or perhaps hallucinations from some sort of drug. She assured him they were not. Though immaterial, the things were there. He tried ignoring them, figured they would get tired of their games and leave him alone. This only encouraged him. They began to manifest the terrors from his earliest childhood, demons and monsters that had haunted his dreams and left him screaming. And then they began hitting him, biting him, throwing things at him. Luckily, Francis had implanted a Gaharn personal shield generator in his body before he had boarded, and this had saved him from maiming and mutilation. Finally, angry they were not able to scare him off, the ghost opened an airlock with no umbilicus attached and began pushing him toward open space. Enough, Ballard yelled following that single word with a multilingual string of curses that would have made the Tangelians blush. The ghost seemed surprised at this, and he heard a couple of them murmur appreciatively at his prowess with off-color invectives. "'Everyone on the ship, meet me in the conference room now,' he ordered. For all their anger and aggression, the specters on the ship had been in service on a number of starships. They were susceptible to orders if those orders were delivered with force and clarity.' Ballard made his way to the conference room. No one tried to stop him. No one tried to space him or eat his face. In the conference room, 22 souls had gathered. They now appeared as they had in life, many still wearing the uniform of the fleet. There were beings from 10 different worlds, three of which Ballard had no knowledge. They looked at him, and Ballard knew this was his moment to reach them or be torn apart. I know you have done your level best to scare prospective buyers away from this ship. Most of just looked at him sullenly. A couple of phantoms, one insectoid and the other gelatinous, snickered. Why are you so intent on doing so, Ballard asked. Because this is our ship, said a massive and tusked individual wearing a red and black uniform of a weapons officer. His nameplate read Commander Tarn. The others nodded. So, said Ballard. You're happy to haunt a ship that doesn't go anywhere? They looked confused. Some of them looked at one another as if this had not occurred to them. I was drummed out of the fleet, Ballard told them. I was able to retire to a nice home on Sepsis 7. A Cestus 7, he corrected. I know that ball of dung, a Lungolan science officer said. You were right the first time. The point is, Ballard continued, I was bored out of my skull. I don't want to be planet-bound no matter how nice in the the nearby, la- nearby lake are. In actuality, his home was a piece of crap and the lake was polluted. Home only to the most virulent and venomous fish and eels, but that wouldn't help his case. Ballard gestured towards one of the large windows, the vast blackness of space glittering with stars beckoning. Don't you want to be out there? Don't you want to hear the thrum of the snart engine and see what lies beyond the boundaries of civilized space? Several of the ghosts murmured. Commander Tarn grunted. What are you offering? Money? We have no use for it. Not anymore. Ballard laughed harshly. Money? (laughs) None of us joined the fleet for money. Did any of you make a decent wage as spacers for the IFW? They shook their heads. But were you happy? Most of them nodded. That's what I'm offering you, Ballard said. A chance to be part of a crew again. To explore and to fight and reach the farthest corners of the galaxy. To belong. He could see he had reached most of them. But Tarn curled his lip. "'Why should we follow you?' he asked. "'Because to the Federation, I'm dead, too. "'We wouldn't be flying under the IFW banner, "'but I guarantee you you will see more action "'and more wonders than you ever did in life.' "'A young Ensign stepped forward. "'Ballard was surprised to see it was his former helmsman, Jacoby. "'He saluted. "'Good to see you again, sir. "'And you, Ensign Jacoby. "'Sorry I let you down on the Shrike, sir. "'I'm to blame, Ensign.' Facing the Kriegash would have been daunting for anyone, and you were on your first tour. Jacoby turned to the other ghosts gathered around the table. His eyes glistened with phantom tears. He was the best captain in the fleet, Jacoby said. I'd follow him again in a heartbeat. If I had a heartbeat, he amended. They all looked at Jacoby, then at Ballard. Would you give us a moment? Captain, Tarn asked. Ballard nodded and stepped out into the corridor. Four years later, everyone in the quadrant knew of Captain Ballard and his starship, the Wraith. Most had never seen his crew, and there were rumors that Ballard was some sort of godlike being that could pilot a 20-man ship on his own. Others knew full well the terrors under his command, things out of a nightmare that could suddenly appear on your bridge, in your quarters, or the lavatory. The IFW wanted Ballard and his crew to join the fleet, but he was happy exploring, fighting, and adventuring with no one to answer to. And nowadays, even the Krieg Ash kept their distance because the crew of the Wraith seemed to know no fear. It's easy to be unafraid of death, Ballard thought, when you're already dead.
0: Oh
1: Yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I want to see that as a movie. I think that'd be the most fun movie ever. <laughs> no one ever talks about like space and ghosts and haunted like spaceships. Well and also It'd be totally different well, territory.
0: And I think this situation is what you know, the people it's there are people who are obsessed with the idea of communicating with the dead. It's their ultimate it's their ultimate fantasy is to actually sit down, uh, you know, and he, Captain Ballard, he reasoned with them and said, hey, look, you know, what do you want? You know, you, you're making these demands. This is your ship. Rah, 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 but what do you <laughs> want? What do you want out of, out of the existence you have now? And he's able to right. He was able to get in there. How do we say that? Get inside their. It was heads. like he was one of them without being dead. Yeah. yeah well, but he he, he he It's like the
1: Flying Dutchman, but you're not like stuck on it, really. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know?
2: well, that's my wife actually brought that up.
0: Too. Yeah. No, I think the idea is he was able to placate them and say, "Hey, you know what? Let's this it, let's do this is what we can do, and it'll make you happy." And that's what that 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 was probably the most important line. Of, was you know, it wasn't for the money when they when they were you know, when they were alive. Uh, it's because they were happy. They they were happy doing what they were doing, so they could be happy again, in their current form. Right. Right. And I think that was the right. most important part of the story. Is uh, per letter, Kenny, you never work a day in your life if you love what you do. What you do. <laughs> so. <laughs> well,
1: and and it's even like this this purpose, even after life because I think everybody needs a purpose in life, and then maybe we we still need to have that, you know, to continue to be well, happy yeah. and fulfilled in the next life we've talked about that a lot there, there's in always the, the concept of of the the lonely wandering ghosts with unfinished business you know trying to right you know i it's so i always
2: i always feel sorry for those ghosts that are that are kept in one place <laughs> yeah and right some of them have to keep on they're almost on a loop yeah, where they have to keep clock. doing the same stuff <laughs> over and over it's
1: 3 a.m lincoln get on the white house lawn get out there do your thing <laughs> Yeah, oh, crap! I was late again.
0: <laughs> to me, to me, it, it just brings up that idea of what existence is and what consciousness is, and like you know, to, to go down the rabbit hole with Amber's idea that you know it's a belief that you know this life that we have now and this physical heavy body that we have, um, uh, we don't. This isn't just. This is just one part of the the adventure, right? And uh, what this story tells me is that this adventure. Does not end when you cease to exist in your physical body. it can go on beyond that, and this is a great way to do that going on more literally going on more adventures in yeah. space uh as the crew of a ship but your your ghosts right i think that, I, I right. think that it, it's a it's a sweet idea it's it's a it's a it's a wonderful idea it's a happy idea that you know I can just see the ship taking off and just going into space and knowing that this store you know the story we just heard knowing that when you see that, that just makes it a really sweet thing, and it makes me smile. I think that's a it's a really great idea. Yeah, Mark, I Mark, you, you gotta you gotta Thank get you,
1: you gotta uh, make that into a screenplay and uh, get that out there. Yeah, <laughs> and push push that out, push that
0: one. <laughs> and you wrote and you oh, wrote oh, these. I will for,
2: take that under advisement. Yeah. yeah, I really appreciate that. Yeah,
0: and you wrote these for our show, which kind of really just blows my mind to be oh, honest awesome. with you, because um, there's so much depth to these stories. You, you know, well, they're short stories, but it's yeah, just like, but
1: that's why Mark's a good short story author because to I think a good a, the sign of a good short story writer is that you can quickly build a wor- a world. You know, you, maybe you got three pages, four pages, five pages, and you build a world that people can see, experience, taste, touch, feel, um, and get everything done in a certain amount of time. And that's harder sometimes than writing a full on novel because you in the novel you can take your time to let things roll out. Right in a short story it's got to make sense it's got to be succinct it's got to make an impact so it's a lot trickier yeah i was going to so, say
0: that's a more difficult yeah. thing to do to get to get somebody emotionally invested yeah. in a character in you know I, a, I, a few pages is way more difficult than than, a, than through a whole novel i still
1: think about Verpecula. i'm like oh verpecula.
0: oh, oh verpecula. do you oh, yes. oh i'm honored thank
1: and, you and i love that and then and then the story about the um the painting the girl in the painting oh god you know it was like so yeah, good too
0: but thank you, Mark. I really really need that. Thank you. I really, really, you. I, I really I
2: enjoy uh, spending time with you both. And, yeah. Uh, well, and we really enjoyed hearing your really stories. Really honored you. You know, have me back again.
0: No, and we're gonna have you back. You're regular. Yeah. You're, you're yeah. Any you want. <laughs> one, of Doors, one, <laughs> one of us. One of
1: us. <laughs> Door is always Don't open. Door you, that chicken lady. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> but no, thank you, Mark. I really mean that. Thank you for taking the time to write these stories. And uh, we'll do the same thing, I think, uh, when the show is done for everybody that's listening. We'll have the whole show here yeah. for you to listen to, but we'll isolate yep. the, the stories and put yeah. them as separate so you, files yep. for so people to go listen back to. You listen can to go back them. and just listen to the stories and, if you want.
1: And those will be exclusive to the website. So yeah, you just got to visit ghostlytalk.com to listen to the isolated files. Those won't go out to the apps.
0: Anything, any of your websites that you would like to put out there, Mark, before we go? Yeah, anything you
1: who you're
2: sure. working on or anything you want to yeah. point people yeah. to Um well I have a uh, my um yeah my page is just getting updated and I have to do a couple of um, edits but it's www.markonspa.com and then my book um I sent you the link for that is Stories from Tomorrow or Tales from Tomorrow mm-hmm. and uh we didn't read any of those today but um, there's some very similar to Captain Ballard with some of the same alien races and devices. And uh, then some are much more serious. And several of them have appeared previously in other anthologies that people publish. So cool. I hope people take a look.
0: We'll put those links up on the site, of course, too, yep. for people to check out. Mark, thank you again. We can't thank you enough. We're going to do this again for sure.
2: Great. Thank you, Scott. Thanks, Amber Rose. Thank Please you. take care of yourselves. Yes, you too. And, uh, you, you guys are like friends now. I really Yay. enjoy visiting with you. So, <laughs> thank you.